So today's reading is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, um, and that should be page 1139 in your church Bibles. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you, Leah, and good morning, everyone. As Lanray said, my name is Sally Campbell-Taylor. I'm a member of the staff team here. And as already has been mentioned, we're continuing this morning our short series, our four-week series, looking at what makes up the DNA of Above Bar Church. Two weeks ago, Jonathan helped us look at humble leadership, and last week, Chris helped us to think about how we can be an international and intercultural church. This week, we're looking at authentic community, which is one of our four values as a church. And of course, there'll be some overlap with the last two sermons. This passage from the second half of Romans has some very practical ways in which we can become an authentic community, which reflects God to one another and to those outside the church. There's a lot of detail in this passage, and we won't have time to go into it all. But hopefully we can get some pointers as to what authentic community uh, should look like. So would you join me in prayer as we prepare to look at the passage together? Father God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it by your spirit. Please would you give us open hearts this morning to hear what you're saying to us. Thank you that you've brought us together as a community of your people, and we pray that you would uh, show us how more and more we can be a community that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So a community, a community can be geographical, um, but it's also defined as a group of people who share something in common. At Above Bar Church, obviously, our faith in Jesus is what we have in common and makes us a community. Or, as Johnny Prime said yesterday at Jonathan's commissioning service, we're a bunch of forgiven failures. That's what makes us a community. But how about authentic community? 
Authentic means genuine, true, real. There's lots around nowadays that isn't very genuine or real, isn't there? Sometimes it's quite clever. The other week I saw the latest Indiana Jones film, and uh, in the sequences in the film set in World War II, they somehow make Harrison Ford, who plays Indy, uh, who's now actually 81, look as though he's in his 40s. You can see the difference there on the screen. There's fake tan, fake news, fake faces when people have had too much surgery, plastic surgery, and dare I say it, fake impressions of our lives through what we choose to share or not share on social media. I saw a quote the other day, uh, quite topical, given another recent film release, that said, you're so fake, Barbie is jealous. <laughs> so what makes a community authentic or genuine? Well, in this passage in Romans 12, I think we see three main themes. Radical love, radical community, and radical witness. And all this, of course, is in response to the radical grace that God has shown to us, his kindness that we don't deserve. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul has laid out what God has done for us in Jesus and why. And at the start of this chapter, chapter 12, Paul talks about how in response to what God has done for us, we should live transformed lives, both inwardly and outwardly. And one of the things that should look different is our life as a community of the church. So firstly, we see that we're called to radical love. Love for our friends, and even more radically, love for our enemies. Really, this whole passage is about love, which might be why the section is entitled Love in Action. Love for God, love for our Christian brothers and sisters, and love for others. Within the community of the church, we're called to love one another with a sincere love, verse 9, and to be devoted to one another in love, verse 10, reflecting something of the love we see in the Trinity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see as we read on through the passage that this love is to be affectionate, respectful, generous, encouraging, joyful, understanding, humble, and unifying. We also need to be accepting of our differences, as Chris reminded us last week. Now, you might think this is the easier bit, loving our Christian brothers and sisters. But what about that person in the church who always rubs you up the wrong way. The person who takes way more than they give. The person who seems to spend most of their time, in, time moaning or criticizing. The person who lets you down. Yep, we're called to love them too. With a love that is affectionate, respectful, generous, encouraging, joyful, understanding, humble, and unifying. And that is radical love. We're also called to love our enemies. If you look at verse 14, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then we see more in verses 19 and 20 about how we should treat our enemies. These verses echo the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. 
It's not just about what we don't do, don't curse, don't take revenge, but also about positive things we do instead. Bless your persecutors. Give your enemy food and drink. In other words, show them kindness. And that is radical love. It's a tough call, though, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't feel like blessing people who persecute me. And in this country, we don't even experience the sort of persecution that many of our brothers and sisters around the world encounter, including some of those who are now part of our church family here at Above Bar. But we do have people who wrong us in different ways. Perhaps people at school or college or work who laugh at us or exclude us because we're Christians. When someone wrongs us, don't we really deep down want revenge? We tell ourselves perhaps it's a matter of justice, of what's right. But it's very clear from this passage that that is God's job, not ours. Radical love for our enemies. Of course, the perfect example of radical love is Jesus Christ himself, who loved his friends and his enemies and went to the cross for each and every one of us. This sort of radical love, whether for our friends or our enemies, doesn't really come naturally to us, though, does it? It's not part of our sinful, selfish human nature. So often, even when we do love, our motives aren't pure, are they? How often are we deep down trying to look good or to make others like us? This sort of radical love that we're called to is only possible when we firstly appreciate the radical love God has shown to us and secondly, when we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to love others. And this passage reminds us we need to show this love in action by the way we speak and behave with one another. And this brings us on to radical community, which is some of the ways uh, we see this radical love in action. I say radical uh, radical community because I think if we belong to a church, and especially if we have for many years, we can forget that this sort of community is actually quite unusual, especially in this day and age. We can take it for granted and expect that when we uh, meet with other Christians, we will encounter love, respect, understanding, and so on. But I remember uh, talking to a couple of people in the the past who are not yet Christians who've visited or joined our church, and they've been struck by the sense of community, acceptance, and belonging that they see, and by how people speak to and treat, uh, treat one another. I'm sure we don't always get it right, but let's do all we can to be a community that builds one another up and is attractive to those who don't yet know Jesus. In this passage, we see a number of practical ways we can live out authentic, genuine community. It's probably not an exhaustive list, but fundamentally, I think it's all about open, authentic relationships and about generosity. Generosity of spirit, of time, of resources, of our God-given gifts, and of our prayers. If you look with me at verse 10, it says, be devoted to one another and honor one another. And the words used in the original Greek are terms used to describe family relationships. So our church community should feel like a healthy family. That's harder in a large church like ours, 
but it's still possibly possible, and especially uh, within our home groups or prayer triplets, uh, or if we're serving within a ministry team. In a broad sense, I guess it's about being committed to one another, putting others' needs first, speaking well of each other, encouraging one another, following through on things, and being there for the long haul, not just until some new project or friend comes along. In a culture in our society that is so much about personal achievement, we should be going out of our way to encourage and affirm others. That also takes humility, and Jonathan was reminding us two weeks ago about how we need humility in our church community. In verse 15, we see that we're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In other words, be alongside one another through the ups and downs of life. Be tangible ministers of God's grace to one another. It's basically pastoral support. And contrary to popular belief, pastoral support in the church is not all done by me as head of pastoral support, or even by the pastoral support team and the ministers. The Association of Christians in Counselling have a, a pastoral care branch, PCUK, and they have what I think is a helpful way of describing it. They say that pastoral care or pastoral support is done by the all, the some, and the few. So in other words, we should all be involved in caring for one another at some level. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are all the all. But then there are situations where people with some sort of responsibility, such as home group leaders or ministry leaders or so on, uh, might need to get involved. And they would be the sum. And then some situations are more complex or long-term and might need involvement from people who have a bit more experience or training, such as the pastoral support team or the senior team, which includes our elders and ministers. So the all, the some, and the few... And each of us belongs to at least one of those categories. In verses 12 and 13, we're called, we see we're called to pray for one another and share with one another. That may be within our home groups or ministry teams we serve on, but there are a couple of other uh, church-wide tools which can help us know how to pray for one another. There are weekly and monthly pastoral prayer lists and also the prayer net email, which can be used by anyone to send a prayer request, which is then circulated. And if you'd like to know more about those things, you can uh, ask me or ask the church office. But both of these things, rejoicing or mourning with one another and praying for one another, are difficult to do unless we're being open and authentic with one another. How else do we know who's rejoicing or who's mourning or who's in need of prayer or resources? I do think we're better at this at Above Bar now than when I came to the church and joined the staff team almost 16 years ago. I used to quite often meet up with individuals who were struggling and uh, they'd say things like, it's just me that's in a mess. I come on a Sunday and everyone else is sorted. Everyone looks happy and I feel as though I should look happy too, even though I'm not. Why aren't I sorted like everyone else? Because we can be good at putting on our Sunday faces, can't we? I even had one instance where I was meeting separately with two housemates who were both struggling, 
and neither of them had any idea that the other one was struggling. When my dad died 12 years ago, I had to practice what I now literally preach. And I had to be real about how hard it was for me. It took me about two years to uh, stop trying to carry on as normal and admit that I wasn't really coping, um, and especially while trying to uh, serve in this kind of role. And I had to seek help in the form of pastoral support from within the church. Uh, I also met with a Christian counsellor and for a while had some mild antidepressants. I now find that when I share that with other people who are struggling but maybe uh, a bit resistant to getting some help, they often start to reconsider when they realise that even, in inverted commas, the head of pastoral support needed medical and pastoral help. It means making ourselves vulnerable, doesn't it? And, and that's not easy. But if we're willing to be open and authentic, it both models something to others and gives permission to do the same. I'm grateful for the ways that our ministers, Jonathan and Chris, share about the joys and struggles in their lives, whether that's up front on a Sunday or through the prayer net email. And for others who share stories of how God has worked in their lives through different circumstances. Of course, we may not want to share everything with everyone. That's probably not helpful. Um, but do we have a few friends or a home group or a prayer triplet that we can share with and be vulnerable with? Perhaps we could ask someone on the prayer team, even today, to pray with us. There might be some situations where we do want to ask people more widely to pray, and we can do so via the, the pastoral prayer lists or the prayer email. And then in verses 16 and 18, we see that being part of an authentic community is living in harmony and peace with one another as far as we're able. It does need to be genuine, authentic peace, though. Um, Pete Scazzero developed uh, the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Resources. There are different books, and some of them are available on the bookstall. And uh, Pete Scazzero points out that often in the church, we prefer to ignore difficult issues and settle for a false peace. Ignore difficult issues and settle for a false peace. It's not just about sweeping things under the carpet and plastering on a smile, pretending everything's okay just to keep the peace. It's about being willing to address issues that bring disharmony. Obviously, we need to do this with grace, speaking the truth in love, as it says in Ephesians 4, and making sure we're doing it with the right motives, but we shouldn't shy away from it. We can't be responsible for the response of others, but we need to do all we can to pursue true peace within the community of the church. Radical community also involves practicing hospitality. You may have heard the saying, hospitality is the art of making people feel at home when you wish they were. I hope that's not what we're talking about here. But it's also not about entertaining. Hospitality, in order to practice hospitality, you don't need to have a big, beautiful home or be able to whip up a five-course gourmet meal. Um, it can be a cup of coffee and a biscuit or a ready meal from the supermarket. It's about welcome and making people feel at home. 
whether or not you wish they were. I wonder if there's someone you could invite round in the next couple of weeks. It's a really great way of getting to know people better and of providing opportunities for people to integrate. Maybe people who are married and single, people of different nationalities, people of different ages, and building relationships within the church. We practice hospitality here on Sundays too, through our First Impressions team, whose strapline is creating loving environments that help people experience God. If you don't already serve on the First Impressions team, maybe that's something to consider. All you really need is a friendly smile and possibly a brief lesson in how to work a coffee machine. Radical community. So how do we do all this? Being authentic or genuine, open, doesn't come easily to us. It's not an instinctive part of our human nature. And we see that right from the beginning when we read in the book of Genesis about Adam and Eve covering themselves up and hiding from God. Well, if you look with me at verse 11 of our passage, it talks about spiritual fervor. And the Greek actually means on fire or aglow with the Holy Spirit. So before we try to do any of these practical things that make us more of an authentic community, we need to be asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, to set us on fire. So we'll be doing them not in our own strength or as a drudge or a duty, but with zeal as we serve the Lord together. Radical love, radical community. Thirdly, and more briefly, radical witness. Authentic community should bless and build up those within the church and provide an environment where we can grow in our knowledge and love of God. But it should also act as a witness to those outside the church community. In John 13, verse 35, Jesus says to his disciples, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The 20th century theologian and pastor Francis Schaeffer said, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? I'll read it again. Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. And if we treat our enemies with love and grace, just as Jesus did to his persecutors as he hung on the cross, doesn't that mark us out as different from the world around us? And hopefully it'll cause people to question why and to see that it's because we're followers of Jesus and want to be like him. I heard someone say uh, some years ago that gone are the days when lots of people are converted by someone's preaching on the street corner particularly as nowadays people don't have that basic understanding of Christianity that they had in days gone by. Nowadays, in our post-Christian, individualistic society, people are looking for somewhere to belong. And we can offer that, a place where people can experience radical love, radical community, and authentic relationships. And once they belong, then they can hear and hopefully respond to the good news of Jesus. Radical love, radical community, radical witness. 
So how can we know if we're an authentic community? How can those outside the church know if we're an authentic community and if what we say can be trusted? I think we're being authentic if we're displaying the sorts of characteristics and actions we see in this passage from Romans 12. If we're showing affectionate, respectful, generous, encouraging, understanding, joyful, humble, and unifying love in action. If we're showing love to our enemies through acts of kindness. If we're seeking God in prayer and being set on fire by the Holy Spirit and allowing him to transform and renew us as individuals and as a community of his people. Before the band lead us in sung response, let's take some moments of quiet to reflect. What has God been saying to you this morning and what are you going to do about it? Maybe you want to spend more time in prayer and find out how you can be praying for others in the church family. Could you sign up to serve on the First Impressions team showing hospitality on Sundays? Or on the pastoral support team being alongside those who are rejoicing or mourning? Might you want to join a home group or form a prayer triplet? Who could you invite round for a cup of coffee or a simple meal? Is there someone you find difficult whom you could bless with kindness? Is there someone who's rejoicing or mourning that you could be alongside in the coming days and weeks? Is there someone you need to reconcile with to bring harmony and a true peace? Do you want to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh, set you on fire, for your service to God and his people. What response is the Holy Spirit prompting from you today?